Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. It's nice to have you guys with us this morning. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd. Maybe we'll be picking this up tomorrow on our edited version, but we are going to be looking at some of the things that went on this day in history and some of the things that are going on. There's a lot to pray for. So we want to go ahead and just move into some of the interesting things in our history. Let's see here. Well, you get a free dad joke to begin with because it's on the trivia page. Why did the calendar maker get fired? Why did the calendar maker get fired? Because he skipped a day. All right, now back to the more serious issues. Let's go back here. Osama bin Laden, the terrorist who did the 9-11 bombing, at least responsible, so we're told, he was killed on this day by a special operations unit, as many of us remember well. He's also uh, accused for the 1998 embassy bombing and uh, the 1993 World Trade bombing, their first attempt before the uh, 9-11, 2001. So there you go. That was his, this was the day in uh, 2011. Boy, time flies, doesn't it? So the first ship sunk by a nuclear-powered submarine, the British submarine HMS Conqueror sinks Argentina cruiser, the General Belgrano as part of the Falklands War, killing 323 people. A very sad war over the Falkland Islands. Seems like it's a war that should have been fought in, in the UN and, and you know amongst the, the leaders, not physically. Uh, just seemed to be a terrible loss of life on both sides. Um, first airplane to take off from the deck of a moving ship, 1912. It was a bi-wing. I mean, a really, a really simple ancient plane took off from the Hibernia. The previous January Samson had become the first British pilot to take off from a stationary ship. And just a little free information, it's actually much easier to take off from a moving ship because you have more air coming over the wing. I don't know if they're worried about waves, but you just wait for a calm day. But the more you get that plane moving, the, the less speed it has to get to get off the deck. So it was actually would have been harder to take off of a um, stationary ship than a moving ship, as long as that ship is going into the wind. And let's see, first nonstop transcontinental flight made by Lieutenant John McCready and Lieutenant Kelly depart from New York and arrive in San Diego the next day. They depart on May 2nd, 1923, they arrive in New York the next day with a total elapsed time of 26 hours and 15 minutes. Think about how amazing that was in 1923 and how long people continue to drive. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried driving from New York to California. Uh, I've done something very similar, but not in one trip. <laughs> it's a, Even today with our nice highways, it takes a long time. So... This would have been quite an amazing thing. They had loaded up with extra gasoline and then went straight across the country. Phenomenal feat. 
Well, here's one. King Henry VIII's version of couples counseling is the heading. On May 2nd, 1536, Henry VIII charges his second wife, Queen Anne Boleyn, with treason, incest, and adultery. She was beheaded two weeks later. So <laughs> I wouldn't uh, call that counseling, but that's what it says. And that's about it for for today on this, on the trivia part. So let's look over at the dad jokes. Let's look at the first one. Not to brag, but I made six figures last year. I was the worst employee at a toy factory. <laughs> Only six figures. Okay. So we are now ready to move on into the word today. So let's look into 1 Samuel 22. Father, thank you for this day. May you just bless us in, in everything that we do. God, guide us and direct us. Help us to see these things, God, that you want us to see as we look into your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Samuel 22. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold apart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. So Saul was sitting in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Here now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me, so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Then Doeg the Enemite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitob. And inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me and lie in ambush as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, 
for your servant knows nothing at all of all this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priest of the Lord to death, because their hand also was with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hand to attack the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doag, You turn around and attack the priest. And Doag the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest. And he killed that day eighty-five men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants. Also oxen, donkey, and sheep he struck with the edge of the sword. Verse 20. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on the day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. For you are safe with me. Such a sad story. When you see Saul, who's raised up to be the king of Israel, to be the help of Israel, the one thing that the people demanded so that he lead them in battle is now attacking the priests of God, the ones that were supposed to bring them into the relationship of God. He was supposed to be modeling a relationship with God. And here we see him massacring innocent people out of his anger and his jealousy, not believing that the, the priest, I mean, it was logical. Everything that the priest said was true. He said, I don't, I've always inquired of the Lord for David. David's always been honored. He's always been your leader. He's your son-in-law. How would I know that you were, anything was going on between you two? And of course, he's accused. He thinks David is lying in wait for him to kill him. Seriously? I mean, David was always, we will continuing to, to see, um, trying not to kill Saul. He knew that God had raised him up, and Saul is using this as a pretext. Well, he's lying in wait for me, therefore you're in league with him, and everything you're doing is wrong. This is what happens when you take your eyes off of God and you put them on yourself. You become paranoid. You think everybody's against you, and you come up with these wild ideas. That's why people in church that get um, start drifting away in their spiritual walk begin to come up with all kinds of wacky ideas that people are conspiring against them and thinking about them. And as you know, I've had people say, I can't come back to church because everybody's going to judge me. And so many times you go, people don't even know. They have no idea what's going on in your personal life. Well, so-and-so looked at me strange and I don't know. You know, you tell them, look, people aren't that, con <laughs> you have to be honest, people aren't that concerned about your life, really. I, I mean, they don't sit there and think about everything you're doing in your life. Just come back. Get your heart back with the Lord and don't be so, judgmental on everybody in the church. We've got to get to that point where we where we start focusing on the Lord and not allowing the enemy to trip us up and think that there's people out there laying in wait for us to do us in somehow, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. It's not true. Most of the time, it's not true. And even if it is true, well, that's what the leadership of the church is for. You're supposed to go to them and say, this person is really trying to come down on me. And then you enter into some type of, of uh counseling or some type of, uh, you know, interaction with them to find if you can work it out. So this, obviously this is a, the extreme with him thinking David's really trying to kill him and he kills these men for it. 
but this is all within the whole concept of the assembly, the people that are supposed to come together and worship the Lord together. And uh, you could even take, you know, you see the issue of leadership, the jealousy. I mean, Saul's jealous of David when they could have been, had he not been jealous, they could have been worshiping and serving God together. David, imagine if Saul didn't become jealous. David would have remained faithful, right? Up to the day that God took Saul out, whatever God was going to do, but he would have never done anything but to help Saul. Oddly enough, if Saul had not treated him bad and tried to kill him. So it's, it's just strange how we get these ideas in our minds. We're supposed to be a fellowship of believers, and we're supposed to be serving the Lord together, not attacking each other. Psalm 56, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me, fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for there are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? All day long, they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me. For evil, they attack. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth in anger, Put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And of course, it is believed that he wrote this during this time where he's running from Saul. And perhaps after Ahimelech and all these priests are killed, when David is doing everything to track him down, he's hiding in the forest. And he's saying, you know, (laughs) can you imagine the tears that he would have cried? knowing that he was responsible for 80-plus people being killed and and thinking, and he's got all these rabble around him, all these people discontent, and they're looking for answers. They're looking for hope in David, and David's on the run. He's saying, I'm trying to do is save my life. But he he figures out, even though he's beautiful, he says, you you put my tears in a bottle. You remember them, knowing that he, the point is he knows God is compassionate. He's not uncaring. God is sees. God listen. God even preserves tears. He says, I'm not going to let your hurt go. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to let you know that everything you're going through, I'm going to take all of that in. I'm going to remember all of your sufferings, all of your hurts, and I am going to bring you out of this. I'm going to bless your faithfulness. And so he is in the process and says, that's why I know I can trust in the Lord. I can, I will trust in him, even though I'm on the run, everything's falling apart. He was at the top, in one, in one sense, under Saul, commander of the army, had his wife, had a home, had everything else. Now he's on the run, and he has, he's, he's been separated from everything. He's lost position and power and authority, and now he's being accused of being a traitor and out to kill the king. So he's an enemy of the state. He's a fugitive. He's on the run, and none of it was justified. None of it was right. Everything's wrong. He's a righteous man, a falsely accused, and all this, he said. But even though all that's happening, I'm still going to trust the Lord, which is a great encouragement when we get falsely accused. 
Luke 22. Now the feast of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and officials how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large unfurnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way... He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. And it's always fascinating to think how it was possible that they wouldn't have known. They couldn't have guessed. And it's Jesus says it's, you know, in the other Gospels, it's, it's the one who, who dips in, in the cup with me and takes it. And either they, he blinded their eyes or he had just done it with them. And he just, uh, he, he was making it plain to Judas, really, but not the other ones weren't picking up on it. And what's fascinating to me is still the Holy Spirit had not come in them yet. Comes in them when Jesus breathes on them. They have the Spirit, many of them are at times upon them when they go out to do ministry, like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but not always stay on them. And the only thing that I can think of about Judas being demon-possessed was that he was the most, in his mind, in his heart, the, the furthest away from having a full surrendered heart to Jesus, that from the beginning there was something there in him. I, there's no proof to this at all. I I don't think that Satan just chose this man who was a strong disciple because Jesus alludes to that. Basically, with the type of man that betrays me, be better than he never been born. There's this issue of free will, which I'm very much about. And I believe that he had the choice whether or not he wanted to surrender his whole heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ while he was there ministering, watching Jesus do the miracles. And yet he was about something else. There was, he was not fully surrendered to some degree. That's just my opinion, but 
that allowed the door to open for that possession to take place because this is the modus operandum of the enemy is always looking for those that you have to open that door. Uh, we find this out. Everybody is involved with, that gets involved in the occult world and demonology and these kinds of things, saying that they're, they're always looking for permission. They're basically looking for permission to enter into you and you have to yield it to them. And this is why drugs and alcohol and all these other things in these rituals, these they're trying to induce you into that position where you open yourself up to it. And so I tend to believe that Judas was predisposed in his own free will towards this. The other disciples were not. And this is why in the full aspect of being three years with Jesus, he had every opportunity to change, every opportunity to say, no, this he is the Messiah. There's no way I'm ever going to yield him over. I, I'm fully sold out. Because some people say, oh, I've heard, you know, I've heard these prosperity teachers say that Judas was the, the most blessed or the most, the best of all the apostles because had he not sold Jesus out and betrayed him, we wouldn't have Jesus and the cross and the, all this other stuff. It's, it's bunk. It's not. It's stretching things to the limit. And I, I don't know why they would go there. They would try and say that Judas is the hero. Not Paul or, or John or Peter or any of those, the other ones. Jesus himself says it would have been better if he had never been born. And so if people try and, and say, poor Judas, it wasn't his fault. He didn't have, he, he had to do this. He was made to do it. I think that violates the whole premise of the gospel. You can receive it or reject it. You have that ability and you can be close to Jesus for a long time. You go to church for a long time. You can be around him with your family and people that you know, that you love, that are Christians and hang out with them and go worship with them. But you still have to, in your heart, say, no, no, no. It's my own individual personal decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. You can't be on the outskirts. You can't be around it and go, hey, I love the benefits. I love the music. I love the people, but I'm just hanging on to my sin. I'm not going to really yield up to him. Because if you don't do that, you end up in the same boat as Judas, and you will not enter into the kingdom, which he did not. And you become a hypocrite. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 8. Sowing looks like a losing business, for we put good corn into the ground never to see it anymore. Sowing to the Spirit seems a very fanciful, dreamy business, for we deny ourselves and apparently get nothing for it. Yet if we sow to the Spirit by studying to live unto God, seeking to obey the will of God, and laying ourselves out to promote His honor, we shall not sow in vain. Life shall be our reward, even everlasting life. This we enjoy here as we enter into the knowledge of God, communion with God, and enjoyment of God. This life flows on like an ever-deepening, ever-widening river till it bears us to the ocean of infinite felicity where the life of God is ours forever and ever. Let us not this day sow to our flesh, for the harvest will be corruption, since the flesh always tends that way. But with holy self-conquest, let us live for the highest, purest, and most spiritual ends, seeking to honor our most holy Lord by obeying his most gracious spirit. What a harvest will that be when we reap life everlasting? What sheaves of endless bliss will be reaped? What a festival will that harvest be? Lord, make us such reapers for thy son's sake. 
Love that man's writing. And and this applies to Judas, doesn't it? All he needed to do was to be obedient to what God had shown him and to invest 100% in what Jesus was doing and not look for any immediate earthly rewards. Many people think Judas wanted, he was like Zelie, wanted Jesus to take over the kingdom and, and to, he was forcing his hand to make him become king, you know, and, and wipe out the Romans. I don't know if I buy all that, but what he needed to do was to be patient and trust in the Lord. And, and just what Jesus said, just follow what Jesus said. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to rise again. And I'm going to use you guys to, you're going to spread the gospel of my salvation by grace to the entire world. They all had heard it over and over and over. And Jesus yet chose another path. But if we can, if we can stay on the path that he's shown us and be faithful to that and glorify him and honor him, then wow, we're going to see amazing, amazing things. I'm Renee and I watched this little blip on, on Kirk Cameron and Babylon B this morning talking about going to just read kids in the libraries in the United States about um, his new book and about teaching them about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and everything that's good in the Lord. And, he, you know, having so many unbelievable people that are opposing him and coming in and getting angry and, and protesting and trying to disrupt him reading about the love of God for children and helping children choose the love, joy, and peace that is available. And it was just amazing to see him so bold, just being obedient to what God showed him. Just And he is kind-hearted in it, and he is uh, dedicated to it, <laughs> praying for him, to to see that what God can do when we choose to just honor him and follow him. And, and doing something as simple as reading a children's book has brought him up in the forefront of public uh, debate uh, about what's going on in the country. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Well, let's go ahead and pray today. Father God, thank you for this morning and another time in your word. We see these interesting stories in the Bible and God, we feel for people that are persecuted and, and um, brought charges against them, which are untrue as David was doing everything to try to be a good person and help people. And he had to flee for his life and and people were out to kill him and trying to destroy him. And we know there's so many people that are that are good, honest, upright, loving people, and yet they are portrayed as horrible and painted in the worst light possible to try and destroy them. So we see that going on in our countries amongst Christian leaders, amongst different people that are uh, even good moral people trying to do the right thing. We ask God for your hand to be upon our governments, Canada, Mexico, United States, uh, wherever we're living, so that th that we might see that truth and a biblical worldview can win out and has and has value and is profitable and it's profitable for man to follow after you, and and gain life and hope, and everlasting life, as Spurgeon would say. So help us to be those that are willing to plant uh, what is good and true to be to plant the seeds of of our of our obedience and our faith and, and planting our, our, our just everything in, in the good soil of what you have given us in, in to live our lives out before you. And uh, we just look for the increase by the Holy Spirit that you would increase it and use us in our lives. All of us that have businesses, all of us that have different kinds of positions, whether we be in schools, libraries, governments, use us, God, in those positions we have amongst our family to show them that there is love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, good things that can be reaped and enjoyed now and for eternity if we would but trust you and follow you 
all the days of our life. So thank you for what you're doing in us and through us, and thank you for those you're continuing to touch and bless the new believers that are coming into that knowledge. Always just a blast to see them grow. Thank you for the marriage conference that just happened down south at the uh, conference center and the excitement of, of the couples coming back and seeing how you bless that. Thank you for those that came down to share and Rennie and Dodie and putting it all together. And uh, uh, we just ask you to continue the, the increase, God. Give us the stability, the increase within the church of, of Christ, whether here or wherever they are from, to be mature believers. And we're going to continue to pray and ask you to bless little Emily and little Abby as they are trying to get over this horrible bacterial and viral infection in their bodies and ask you to do a miracle and help Kim and Dean get rest and continue to heal them as well. And Ethan, thank you for his health and continue to, to bless him. And for anyone else dealing with some pains, help we pray for it. Renee, get over her cold. that has just been keeping her down, help the medicine kick in and give her rest and hope and sleep um, today. Help her feel as good as possible. Thank you for blessing us, God. On all you did on Sunday, we're just excited to see the fellowship gathered together, worshiping around your throne, and all you're going to continue to do as we move on in these days and this year. We do pray for the, the brutal war in the Sudan for you to uh, intervene and stop this horrible tragedy that's going on there. Protect the Christians. God, there's so many Christians being uh, slaughtered there in the Sudan, Nigeria as well. So many Christians are being hunted down don't have any idea what that's like, God, but I pray that you'd strengthen them and make them like Paul, make them like Barnabas, make them just know how to rightly divide your word and stand for the faith and and um, protect them, God, overall, and protect Israelis. Again, they are being targeted and need, need to defend themselves. And we pray for the cessation of this war in Ukraine before it ramps up to be nuclear as it's getting close to now. If something doesn't happen soon, God, we can't imagine the devastation that could come upon this world. So we wait upon you. We praise you. We thank you for this day and ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. That will do it for this morning, everybody. Thank you guys for being with us again today and to encourage you as always to subscribe to whatever you're watching on and keep others informed and help them do the same so we can keep this uh, growing. And I was very encouraged to see that the audio podcast, the edited version is, is, um, is growing. And we have, um, we have a good number of people listening every day. So thank you guys that are on the audio podcast. Keep, uh, keep that up. And because what that does, as many of you know, is then all of a sudden Manifold Breakfast will pop up when someone is searching for, if they're interested in, in spiritual things and interested in the Bible. And uh, they can now just listen to the word of God and let God do the work. So it's an outreach ministry that you all can be a part of. So let's keep it up. So thank you. And we will see you tomorrow again at the same time. God bless you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.